Hi, everyone. Welcome to Vox Tablet. I'm Sarah Avery. Today, destruction and recovery. This evening, many Jews around the world will sit and read the Book of Lamentations to mark the holiday of Tisha B'Av. It's a holiday that commemorates the destruction of the first and the second temples about 650 years apart from one another. With the destruction of the second temple in particular, Jews were forced into exile. That event is considered by many people to be the central cataclysm in Jewish history. I've been trying to imagine what that would have been like to have had my social and physical world completely ruptured, to be surrounded in a city by death and destruction and grief. And I guess you could say that in my own lifetime, the event that probably comes closest to me is the terrorist attack of September 11th. It's coming up now on 10 years since that attack. And many people remain haunted by the events of those days, particularly people who had family and friends who were killed in the attacks and people who were first responders. What does that kind of trauma do to a person and how do you go on living after you've experienced it? Today we're talking about these questions and related ones with Yuval Neria. Neria is a professor of clinical psychology at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons. His research is on how to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, and he spent a lot of time working with people who have been directly impacted by 9-11. Yuval Neria, welcome to Vox Tablet. Hi, nice to be here. How did you first become interested in studying the impact and treatment of trauma? Well, you know, I started to look at the impact of trauma when I was quite young, um, related to my own personal experience. I was um, a young person when the 1973 Yom Kippur War struck. I was a soldier located in uh, the southern part of Sinai Desert uh, and was, you know, one of the few that had to deal with the consequences of Yom Kippur War without being either severely injured or, or dead, unfortunately. So um, my interest in, in trauma research has been ongoing since then. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about your experience in the war? What were you doing specifically and what did you witness? So um, I was 21 in the Yom Kippur War. I was a lieutenant, actually new lieutenant, three months in the job, uh, young and pretty naive. And and then, you know, uh, Yom Kippur was one of the most traumatic events in Israeli history. Um, and in my case, I was fighting uh, pretty much uh, on my own for, I would say, um, 16 days, actually uh, 12 days, I think, until I was injured and... Um, eventually also decorated and uh, released from, from the military. And then, I, you know, I became very involved in, um, as a student in, in anti-government demonstrations, and I was one of the leaders of Peace Now. So the war, Yom Kippur Wars, kind of changed a lot of my outlook. When you were a young soldier in 1973 and you were in combat, you saw people presumably injured and killed, uh, what kind of um, help was offered to you to deal with that uh, trauma? Yeah, no, no help whatsoever. Uh, you know, in, in those times, um, there was very little known or, or published on post-traumatic stress disorder. We had 
not only not prof- we didn't get professional help, but but we didn't have the opportunity to experience any empathy or understanding to what we have uh, went through, uh, unless you have been talking to other war veterans. So I remember, you know, that we had to form our own, you know, little groups in order to process and digest, you know, what we have been through during the war. Can you tell us a little bit about your research on PTSD? Who do you work with and what does the uh, research and the work that you do entail? So um, I was recruited to, um, to Colombia after 9-11 attacks in order to help developing a effective a post-traumatic stress uh, disorder program here at Colombia. Um, I was already quite established as a PTSD researcher in Israel and was on the faculty in Tel Aviv University. So my, my research in Israel was mainly directed towards survivors of wars, you know, bereaved uh, prisoners of wars, and um, I've developed, you know, epidemiological research as well as treating a lot of those people myself. Um, In the U.S., I became highly interested in a number of directions. Uh, First of all, in assessing, you know, the magnitude of the impact in this city after 9-11. So we, we did a lot of epidemiological assessment. Then we developed training programs for clinicians in this city in order to make them capable to deliver trauma-focused and bereavement-focused treatments. And lastly, but very, very importantly, I became more and more interested in understanding the neurobiological uh, basis of PTSD in order to really to figure out whether PTSD has can be shown in the brain has direct impact on on the brain functioning, especially with regard to its ability to extinguish fear memories and to help, you know, guiding our knowledge about PTSD using both the biological data and the epidemiological data. And is there evidence that you can see the effect of PTSD in the brain? Sure. You can actually identify certain pathways that are involved in the capacity to take care of traumatic experiences. You know, the most important thing, if you look at, um, you know, every group that's exposed to severe trauma, you can always see that the majority of the group is coping with the trauma pretty well, pretty resilient, and don't show up with, with post-traumatic stress symptoms. However, a significant proportion of this group develop, you know, fear-related symptoms, whether they are nightmares or a lot of anxiety related to reminders, whether there, are, there is an avoidance of... Um, Reminders, you know, avoiding taking the subway downtown, avoiding taking the bridge, avoiding taking a flight, you know, to another city or another state. This was very common, you know, in uh, New York post 9-11. So if the brain is efficient in extinguishing traumatic memories in a way that wouldn't disrupt behavior, this is really what we want to, to achieve. We can achieve it either through treatment or in certain cases through kind of normal trajectory 
and and the brain is a great place to look at evidence for that. Well, what does the treatment entail? Well, frankly, there is a lot of progress, you know, in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. And after many years of, you know, explorations and misguided ideas about treating everybody with medication or treating everybody with psychoanalysis, now we are pretty sure that effective treatment should target directly, but in a very structured and focused way, you know, the traumatic experiences. You know, a number of researchers in the U.S., you know, the most famous is really a former Israeli, Dr. Edna Foa, was very instrumental in developing a treatment named prolonged exposure, which helped us to expose the traumatized patient in a very guided and gradual way again and again to the traumatic memories, being able eventually to decrease the levels of associated anxiety and fear and pain and to enable processing of the traumatic memories. Can you give us an example of someone who you worked with who was down at ground zero on 9-11 or was a first responder and how you've worked with that individual to help them manage or get rid of their PTSD if that's possible? You know, I I can't really uh, use any uh, real or concrete example as treatments are confidential, right? But in general, what we want to do is to recall as much details from the traumatic experience. And we don't do it all at once. We do it time after time after time for many, many times through a course of, let's say, three months therapy. And we uh, try to identify the most important points or spots in the experience that are related to the most suffering. For example, a first responder who felt that he didn't give help to an overweight lady, you know, going down in the stairs and, and is kind of hunted by the guilt. In the therapy, we are really focusing on those events, ethical issues, main cognitive distortions, main lapse in memories, in order to make the narrative of the trauma as less heavy and painful and currently traumatic as possible. You know, we cannot help people forget, you know, what they have seen. Um, We don't expect them to forget, really. We expect them to not to feel so awful when they are reminded or when they are remember those events. And that's what we do in the treatment. It's interesting you use the word forget because... uh Obviously, PTSD is not a Jewish phenomenon at all, but you think about the sort of uh, sometimes explicit, sometimes implicit uh, idea that is conveyed in sort of Jewish national history to never forget, never forget the trauma of the temple's destruction, never forget the Holocaust. And so... Never forget Jerusalem. Yeah, never forget Jerusalem. It's just, you know, it's an interesting uh, tension between trying to... Um, move beyond your trauma and also, uh, I guess, commemorating it. Right. I think that forgetting is very important. I'm saying it as a psychologist. And um, 
especially forgetting the pain or forgetting the hatred or the anger, you know, being able to forgive, being able to move forward. I think that's very, very important. I am also aware to the fact that, you know, that the Jewish people is um, struggling to have, you know, a coherent or consistent narrative um, that entails a lot of destruction and um, traumatic events. But I do think that, you know, an effort should be made in order to distinguish between creating a story, you know, for a people, for the Jewish people, and um, anger or fear or, you know, or the notion of weakness or the notion of failure. If you look at the individual level, you know, traumatic events are always or I would say very rarely, not associated with, with negative emotions, with sense of failure, with sense of betrayal. And I don't think that experiencing you know, those negative feelings is uh, recommended or functional for the individual, but also for a certain nation. You know, I, I, I think that if you are too much in the remembering you are less in the present, you know, you are not, you don't, you don't have sufficient energy, you know, to enjoy the day, to enjoy the weather, to enjoy the art, uh, to enjoy other people, you know, to enjoy yourself. Um, so I, I always, so I'm a little bit ambivalent about, about the remembering thing. Getting back to your own experience after the Yom Kippur War, you were a founder, as you mentioned, of Peace Now, a group that came together in 1977 to support peace in the Middle East. You also wrote a novel about the war called Aish, Fire, that came out in Israel in 1986. And I wonder, were those two experiences, political engagement, creative expression, were they helpful ways for you to deal with your own trauma? Um, I think that the drive for my political or semi-political actions over the years came from uh, or were motivated by other needs. Uh, the book, on the other hand, you know, the, the novel, uh, it was kind of a you know, documentary novel, a novel based on my own experiences, was certainly very therapeutic. It helped me to express things that were inside me and I couldn't do it otherwise. Now, the um, opportunity to write literature or to engage in creative writing is is very recommended i would say to to trauma survivors we have seen that also in the literature you know where studies have shown that expressive writings about the trauma can really alleviate post trauma suffering and um, it's always true when people are engaged in you know, in emotional uh, upheavals, separation, you know, disappointments. Uh, writing is a very, very powerful uh, tool. Art in general, you know, if I knew how to paint, perhaps I would have done that. But I was, I was doing writing, you know, as a kid. And I, so for me, it was kind of natural to do. Then I remember clearly that only after, you know, finishing this novel, I was really ready to go to my PhD studies. And that's why, you know, my PhD studies kind of started them late in life, because I have other things to do. 
And only when I've done them, I was, you know, open to take my energy and to put it uh, into research. We started this podcast by mentioning that Tisha B'Av is upon us, and a lot of people uh, consider it to be the saddest day in Jewish history. Traditionally, you read Eicha, the Book of Lamentations, which is full of images of destruction, mothers eating their babies, children starving in the streets, pillage. It's horribly uh, graphic text, although it's very poetic also. And I just wonder, what is the utility for anybody to uh, read such a text over and over? Why, why, what is to be gained, even though it is beautiful? I mean, the verses are quite beautiful, but what is to be gained by opening that wound again and again? Well, I, I think that's a good question. The, the dilemma is always there. You know, when you have kind of horrible adversities, there, there is always the, the dilemma is what is really the utility of open the wounds, right? What is the utility of discussing the pain? And there is no clear answer whether it's important or not important, whether it's good or not. There, there is, and I would say it's, it's really about timing and also about personality, and I, I'll try to elaborate a little bit on that. So with regard to timing, you know, having the opportunity to mourn in anniversaries or Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur or, you know, Memorial Day, I think very important to human beings. It's, they can really take themselves to spheres, to places, you know, which are perhaps difficult emotionally, but kind of cleaning and clearing kind of inner places that needed to be cleaned in a, in a constructive way. And I think where you have, you know, a small group of people, you know, the Jewish, the Jewish people, which was re-traumatized and re-exposed to adversity so many times, you know, in the course of history, Memorizing is important, and if it's done, you know, in certain occasions, you you can prepare yourself and get into it to that or not. On the other hand, you know, and that's very, very, very important. Um, when we are approaching nine eleven, I don't think that being reminded of tragedies, you know, um, graphically, again and again and again, you know, um, is healthy and constructive. Uh, I don't think so. I think that there are certain capacities that are kind of minimized by exposing, you know, people, especially those who still suffer or mourn. So I think proportion is very, very important, and guidance, you know, and empathy. It's, it's crucial in this process. Yuval Neria, thank you so much for speaking with us and for allowing us to barge into your workplace. Thank you. Yuval Neria is a professor of clinical psychology. We spoke to him at the Columbia University Medical Center in Manhattan. As always, we would love to know your thoughts on our podcast today. Please send us a note to podcast at tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. We encourage you to listen again next week.